beginning of the summer, we started a new sermon series, uh, Questions Jesus Asked. The Gospels record about 300 questions that Jesus asked people. We picked a few of them, and we've been kind of working through them over the course of summer. And today the question is, can worry add a single hour to your life? So we're going to talk about worry today. And as I was thinking about that, I decided, you know, every once in a while you have to take a leap of faith and, you know, embarrass yourself. So some of you may remember back in 1999, Bobby McFerrin wrote this song that, that kind of caught on for a bit, and I called it Don't Worry, Be Happy, and I'm going to sing a little bit of that. So have mercy on me. <clears throat> so the song goes like this. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. In every life we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. And continues for a while. Next verse. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlord say your rent is late. You may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed. But I, every, time, every time I hear that song, it makes me laugh. It just makes me laugh. There's actually a version of the song on YouTube that with, with Robin Williams and Bobby McFerrin kind of dancing through it. it it's hilarious. So anyway, uh, in a lot of ways, it's, it's kind of a trite song, but at the same time, it's picking up on a biblical theme. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't let worry rob you of joy. The scriptures talk a lot about worry and fear and anxiety and about the fact that the people of God don't need to be worried or fearful or anxious at any point. But we worry. Uh, The American Heritage Dictionary defines worry as worry or anxiety is a state of uneasiness or distress about future uncertainties. About future uncertainties. So we worry. We worry about whether we're going to have enough money to pay our bills. We worry about we're going to have enough to deal with emergencies that come up. We worry about having enough for retirement. We worry about our jobs, whether we're going to find a job or keep a job or find a job that we actually like. We worry about our health, our own health, the health of our family members and close friends. We worry about ourselves. We worry about staying clean. We worry about messing up. We worry about disappointing ourselves. We worry about our families, about disappointing our families and friends, maybe even disappointing God. We worry about our kids, keeping them safe. I was talking with uh, Christy Critchfield yesterday about our sons. And uh, in, in our family, I have son, we have a son and three daughters. In our family, our, our thing was, uh, I've said this before, our job as parents was to keep our son alive and our daughters happy. And we worried about keeping our son alive because he was crazy. He came home one day, he, he got involved with something called parkour when he was 12. You know, our parkour is this kind of urban gymnastics. And I remember him coming home one day with some of his friends, Dad, Dad, you gotta see this, this is great. So he pops, this is in the days of VCRs even, he pops the tape in and I'm looking at it and I'm seeing him scaling walls at WPI and then trying, jumping from building to building. And then, and then I see them jumping off the buildings, practicing their tuck and roll, so jumping off the land. And I'm thinking, thinking to myself, what did we do wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong with this boy? You know? We worried about him a lot. Also worry about our parents. As our parents get older and they start to, to get a little bit slower and uh, you, you, you watch that and you, you, we worry about that. Worrying about providing them with the kind of care and love and support uh, that they need 
through the remaining years, sometimes decades of their lives. We worry about stuff going on in the world. We worry about the environment. We worry about all the stuff happening right now with North Korea. We, there's so many things that we can worry about. We worry about whether or not we're ever going to find that special someone, right? That special someone. Whether we're going to find love and stay in love. And God, God knows about our propensity to worry, to feel anxious, sometimes to be afraid. Throughout the scriptures, you keep seeing again and again and again uh, passages about, about all of that. Things like, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. We work and we're anxious about our work. Then the passage continues, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So side note on that, if you fall asleep, I'm just gonna assume God's happy with you during this sermon. There's that, you know, the psalm, he who trusts in the Lord is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by stream, by the stream and does not fear, does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in a year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request request be made known to God. We worry. And the passage that we're looking at today gets at that issue of worry, that issue of anxiety. We're going to be reading uh, Luke chapter 12. We're going to focus on verses 22 to 34, which in your Bibles, in your pew Bibles, is page 736, unless you have one of the fatter Bibles, in which case it'll be 1174. Um, So we're going to focus on 12 through 34, but I'm going to read starting with verse 1 because the context is important. Jesus is getting at a particular area of worry in this passage, and we need the context to see what Jesus is really getting at, okay? So Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Meanwhile, and the meanwhile refers to what happened in chapter 11. The Pharisees, the scribes of religious leaders, uh, are, have kind of stoked up their opposition to Jesus. They're plotting against him. They are, um, you know, they're angry and they're frustrated with him and they want to take him out of the picture. And so chapter 12 begins with, meanwhile, while all that's happening... When a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear, in the inner rooms, will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you shall fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. 
You are worth more than many sparrows. Let me stop for a second. Pay attention to that phrase. You are worth more. That phrase, that idea is going to come up throughout this passage. You are worth more. Going back to verse 8. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance, in an abundance of possessions. So stop here for a moment too and take heed of this. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is a key theme in this passage. You are more valuable and life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Going back to the text, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? Oh, what shall I do? What shall I do? I know. I have no place to store my crop. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Ha ha. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, therefore, given what I've just been saying about hypocrisy, about the wrong kind of fear and the right kind of fear, about greed and about possessions, given all of that, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storehouse or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? 
Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here in this passage, in verses 12 to 34, Jesus commands his disciples not to worry. And the f- particular focus is not worrying about what, what they are to eat or to wear, not to worry about having enough on which to survive. And he's writing to people who lived day by day, day by day, paycheck by check, paycheck, so to speak. So this was a very real concern to them. And he's saying, don't worry about it. Don't let, that, don't let that consume you. And Jesus is speaking, he's speaking tenderly, but urgently, passionately, to people he deeply loves. In the passage we just read, he calls them his disciples. He calls them his friends. He uses a term of endearment, little flock. These are people he cares about deeply cares about. He talks to them about something that is critically important for them to understand and to live out. He's speaking to people he really, really, really deeply, deeply, deeply cares about. He's speaking to them and he's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. He's talking about a life worth living and about the things that can derail us from living that life. So in this passage, verses 22 to 34, Jesus gives us three illustrations about why we don't need to worry. He gives us three reasons for not worrying. He tells us what to do to guard against needless worry. And the context that we've talked about, read, helps us to understand, to fr- it frames our understanding, the way to interpret what Jesus is saying throughout all this passage about worry, okay? So I'm going to go back into the context for a few minutes, okay? A couple minutes. So Luke tells us a large crowd gathers, many thousands of people, so many that they're kind of stepping on one another, almost trampling one another, okay? It's like the opening day, you know, when Chick-fil-A come, comes into town, you know? And I know some of you will be there camping out all night to get one of those free, you know? And then you'll be, because you've heard this passage, what you'll do is you'll give me the free passage you get. Because I won't be there. So a large crowd gets many thousands, okay? And they're listening in as Jesus is speaking really to his disciples. And Jesus begins by saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The Pharisees are known for being religious, for being spiritual, but inside, they're anything but. They're dark, and they're angry, 
and they're bitter and they're proud and they're arrogant and it flows out in some pretty bad ways. What Jesus is saying here is let your private lives match your outward selves. Don't live secret lives. Don't talk a better game than you play. Don't be more concerned about your image than your character. Work on your character. Let your image kind of play out on its own. All hypocrisy, Jesus says, all hypocrisy eventually gets found out. All secrets get exposed. Why does Jesus talk about hypocrisy? Because hypocrites, whether anybody else knows it for a while, all hypocrites know when they're hypocrites. And what they're most worried about is being found out, being exposed. It consumes them. It makes them do even worse things, trying to protect themselves, protect their image. It's not a good way to live. But all of us care about our image, and we play games. Then he says, verse 4, Do not be afraid of those who killed the body and after that can do no more. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. There are worse things than dying. All of us will die. But a lot of us will live again. So Jesus is saying, do not fear the wrong person or the wrong thing. He then he says, fear God. But in a funny kind of way, he says, fear God, but don't be afraid. God is the one who has the authority, the right to, in a sense, cast us into hell. Only God has that authority. Only God has that right. So he says, fear God. Recognize that God has that authority. Don't let yourself be intimidated by anyone else. Don't let anyone or anything cause you to reject God, to not acknowledge him. Fear God. But at the same time, he says, God knows you, no one is forgotten. How much more valuable are you than sparrows? This is a way of saying, fear God because of who he is, but don't be afraid because God cares about you. And so if you fear God in the right way, The big point is you will not need to fear anyone or anything else. If you fear God, you do not need to fear anyone or anything else. Then in verse 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. What Jesus is saying here is that you are more than your stuff. Your life is more than how many possessions you can accumulate and hoard. That's not what our culture teaches. It's not the American dream, so to speak. We live in a culture of consumption. We live in a culture of hoarding. We live in a culture where you're valued by what you have, it seems, more than who you are. But that's not the culture of the kingdom of God. Jesus does not care what you have. He cares about who you are. 
Now, in the midst of all this, while Jesus is giving all these tender but passionate, urgent warnings to people, a guy jumps out of the crowd and says, hey, teacher, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. And it's in that context that Jesus talks about greed. He's been talk, Jesus has been talking about what's important, and all this guy can think about is his inheritance. He's so consumed by that that he can't really hear, doesn't want to hear what Jesus is saying. That happens to us. Our possessions and our desire for possessions can grab hold of us and they can blot out the voice of God. So Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he tells a parable. There's a rich man who's a fool. Why is he a fool? He's made his life all about an abundance of possessions. Go back and look at the text. That idea of abundance, about surplus, keeps coming up. This is not about a guy who's getting just enough to meet his needs. This is about a guy who wants it to overflow. Overflow, abundance, surplus. And yet the other word that keeps coming up is himself, for himself. It's surplus for, for himself not to share with anyone else. And he's a fool for living that way. He stored up things for himself, made sure he would never run out, but he has been rich toward God. He hasn't paid attention to God and what God cares about. He's more worried about how to store his surplus grain for himself than he is about how to secure his eternity before God. And it's at this point, after all of this, that Jesus begins his passage about worry again. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. And then he gives some illustrations, three illustrations. He talks about ravens, the raven. Ravens don't sow or reap. Unlike the rich man in Jesus' parable, ravens have no storehouse or barn. But they don't worry about running out of worms to eat. I think that's what ravens eat. And then Jesus says, okay, here's the raven. Doesn't sow or weep, doesn't worry about getting enough to eat, doesn't worry about the future, just goes out. And yet God feeds the ravens. And here's an interesting thing. Ravens in, in scripture are called unclean birds. So Leviticus 11.15, these are the birds you are regard, regard as unclean and naughty because they are unclean. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, any kind of black kite, any kind of raven, and the verse continues. These are unclean animals, which scripture refers to as detestable, and yet even unclean animals God looks out for. Even that which God calls unclean, God cares for, cares about. And then clincher line comes again. How much more valuable you are than birds. How much more valuable? Talks about wildflowers, second illustration. Flowers don't labor or spin. They don't make their clothes, so to speak. But not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Flowers have nothing to do with what makes flowers beautiful. God does that. And then grass of the field. He says, the grass is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. 
It's here today, a few days later, it's gone. But God takes care of the grass too. How much more will he clothe you? Daryl Bach writes in, in his uh, commentary on Gospel Luke, if God squanders such beauty on little flowers and common grass, things which are here today and gone tomorrow, what will he do? What will he do for people made in his image and saved through the gift of his son? What will he do for the children he loves as father and is destined to live forever? So Jesus gives us three illustrations to make one big point. God cares for ravens that are unclean. He cares for wildflowers that do not work. He cares for grass that is common and temporary. How much more will he care for you who are made in his image and for whom Christ died to save? If God cares for things that are insignificant, that are temporary, how much more will he care for you? Now, let me make, let me say something about worry for a moment. All of us have anxious thoughts that come into our heads. All of us. Jesus uses two verbs, two Greek verbs, to talk about worry here. He's not talking about the kind of worry, the kind of, you know, the thoughts that come into our head. He's using two verbs. One of them, the first verb is in verse 22, merimnate. It's a present imperative. What that means is it's a, it refers to a constant attitude or action. So what it means is do not always be worrying. It's not the anxious thought that comes in and then leaves. It's the thought that comes in and then you, you gnaw on it like a dog on a bone. You keep gnawing. You, you gnaw on it and you gnaw on it and gnaw on it so that it fills everything it fills your mind, it fills your attention, you know, you know what I mean? And then the second verb is in verse 29, which is translated in our Bibles as do not be anxious. The verb is meteorisaste. And that's a verb that, that it's a kind of a graphic image of kind of hovering between hope and fear, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's, it speaks of, a, of an emotional instability and insecurity as you kind of race between various emotions. You don't have any traction in your mind, in your heart. You have all these mood swings. You get worked, about, worked up about something and then you kind of back off and then you get worked up about it again. You don't let it go. Both verbs together talk about letting, not anxious thoughts coming in now, but letting anxious thoughts come in and stay there and consume you. That's the kind of worry that Jesus is talking about. He says, do not worry in that way. And he gives three reasons for not worrying like that. The first reason he gives, or not the first reason the text, but the first reason we start with, is worry just does not help. It goes back to our big question. Can worry add even a single hour to your life? If you cannot even do even this little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Worry does not help. What worry does is it wounds you. It robs you. It hollows out your soul. There's nothing good that comes out of worry. So really you're worrying for nothing. Second reason is you have no need to worry. You are loved, supremely valued by God. And third reason, worry ultimately is a sign of unbelief. It's a sin against God. 
So let me try to unpack those a little bit. Who of you by worrying could add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Worrying, think about it, worrying does not help. You worry about a health report you receive. Okay. Worrying doesn't make the cancer go away. It just doesn't. You worry about your kids, but worrying about them doesn't protect them, doesn't keep them safe. You're worrying about whether you'll be able to pay your bills. Worrying doesn't put an extra dollar in your pocket. It doesn't help you pay your bills. Worrying does not help you in any way. It does the opposite. It really wounds you. It wounds your physical bodies and it wounds your soul. It prevents you. Worry prevents you from having deeper intimacy with God and with other people because it consumes you so much you have no energy, no time, no attention for God or for other people. Right? Isn't that so? Worry it's not, it's not just that worry doesn't add anything to your life. It actually subtracts things from your life. It's a thief. It steals your time. Your thoughts turn to your troubles rather than praying about them or doing things God is calling you to do. You waste time worrying about them. It steals your rest. makes it hard to sleep. just makes you tired, exhausted. It makes you physically weak, vulnerable. You get sick when you worry, right? It gives you ulcers. Actually, I guess something else gives you ulcers, but it doesn't do good things. It steals your hope. When you're worrying, you can't focus on the things that can give you and should give you hope. It cuts for you off from the hope there there is in God. And worrying makes you me-centered and selfish. It turns you in on yourself. It's all about me, my world, my longings, my desires, my rights. Worry doesn't add anything. It subtracts from your life. It doesn't help. It hurts. It wounds. It hauls you out makes you less what God called you to be. Second reason to not worry, you are beloved. You're supremely valued by God. You are supremely valued by God. How much more God loves you than everything else in all creation. If God provides for the ravens who are unclean, don't you think he will provide for you? For you whom he loves. Jesus laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Earlier in a chapter, Paul writes, if Christ is for us, who can be against us? If Christ is for us, who can be against us? If Christ is for us, Christ is with us, Christ is standing with us, then nothing else can destroy us. Yeah? And when you think about that, then it becomes clear, reason number three, that worry is a sign of unbelief in the goodness of God and the wisdom of God and the power of God and the love of God. Worry is what the pagan world does, Jesus says, because they do not have a God who is trustworthy and cares for them. Anxiety says, my fate is in my own hands. It's all up to me. I've got to do something. And God, our Father, says, my child, your fate is in my hands. I know what you need, my child. I know what you need. And I will provide for you. 
So we have to choose, will we trust in our worry? Will we trust in the character of God? Will we take things into our own hands? Or will we turn him over to the Lord our God, our Father? Now let me be clear. God is not asking us to be in denial about the fact that the world is a broken place, a tough place, can be a tough place, sometimes very scary. He's not asking us to be in denial about that. He's not asking us to be in denial about the fact that we have very real, legitimate needs. What he is asking us to do is to open our minds and hearts and souls to the fact that there's a greater reality than the brokenness of the world and the fact that we have needs. He's asking to to recognize that reality is much bigger than all of that. The reality of the universe is that God is real, that God is a ruler, he's in control, he's sovereign, and that God is infinitely good and wise and just and gracious. The reality is that God is a father who loves you, his children. That's the big reality that helps you to make sense of the smaller reality of the brokenness of this world. So it comes down to choosing which way you're going to live. One way is to live for ourselves, the things of this world, the ego, the pride, the status, the stuff of this world. You can can choose to live for that. Or you can choose to live for God and his kingdom. And if you live for God and his kingdom, then you will not lead to live in worry and fear. Let me make clear too that Jesus isn't saying that don't work, don't plan, don't think about the future. Don't exercise foresight. He's not saying that. It's good to work, to think, to plan, to exercise foresight. He's not saying be passive, be lazy, be careless or foolish. He's not saying, yeah, do that. Go back to the ravens for a minute. The ravens don't worry about whether they're going to have worms to eat, but they go looking for them. They don't expect the ravens to just kind of jump up and crawl down their throats. They do something, right? So we're called to work, to do all that, but we're not consumed by it. When you know that God is good, that he's your provider, then you can go out and work and think and plan without worrying. You can work, you can think, you can plan, you can exercise foresight with hope and with joy. What Jesus is asking us to do is to put God at the very center of our lives. Not one of our priorities, but our key priority. The center of our lives out of which all the rest of our lives then flow. Jesus says, in chapters and verses 33 and 34, seek first uh, the kingdom of God. And then he says, all these things will be added to you as well. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Well, it means to pray fervently and persistently that God's kingdom would come and his will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. It means loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And as we've said here, to love your neighbor as yourself is to want for your neighbor what you want for yourself and your family. 
It means choosing not to be consumed by anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So just turn your requests over to God. Bring your requests, present them to God. Saying, God, okay, I got this thing. Got a major job interview, or I'm looking for a job, or I got this bill that I have no idea how to pay, or I got this health report and it doesn't sound good. And Lord, it's your problem because I belong to you and you're my father and I'm gonna trust that you're gonna figure out how to deal with this because I have no idea. So I'm not gonna worry about it too much, God. Too much. I'm gonna do everything I can to let you have it. Thank you for taking it. You cast all your anxieties upon him because you know you know that he cares for you. So what do you do? You focus on who God is. You focus on what God is like. You focus on what God has done in human history. And what God has done in your personal history. You look back at what God has done in the scriptures. And all the promises of God and the ways he's fulfilled them throughout biblical history and church history and so forth. But you also look at your own life and you look back and you remember, I remember when this happened and I had no idea what to do. And God stepped in and he helped me. He helped us. He helped us in ways that we never would have thought of. He brought people to us who who helped us that we never would have expected. God helped us. He took our burden and he carried it. And we're still standing today. God did that. We rehearse all those times. We go back and remember them because the remembering of the past gives us hope and courage for the future. It reminds us about the fact that God is good and we don't have to worry. So let me kind of summarize the passage as a whole again for us. Verse 15, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The parable of the rich man, you fool this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for, then, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. And then verses 31 to 34, but seek his kingdom. And these things, the stuff you really need, food, clothing, shelter, will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid. Don't be worried or anxious, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is in your possessions, you will always be worried. Your heart will always be burdened and heavy because there's no way you can protect them. You can't protect yourself from all the things that life will throw at you. You'll always be worried. But if your trust is in God and his kingdom, then it doesn't matter what happens to you because you know God will be there to pick you up. God will be there to pick you up and carry you. Now, seeking God's kingdom and being rich to God, rich toward God are two ways of talking about the same thing. They're both ways of talking about not putting yourself at the center of your life, but putting God and his kingdom at the center of your life. It's two ways of talking about not being self-centered, but about being God and other people-centered. Being rich toward God, seeking first his kingdom, 
It's about wanting to know God, to honor him more than anything else in your life. It's about running hard after God, not running hard after things. It's about wanting what God wants, valuing what God values. What does God value? People. God values people. It's about trusting God to provide everything you really need and so becoming free from the desire to hoard and becoming generous in sharing all you have with others. So here are the questions for us coming out of this passage. What or who will you allow to consume your life? What will you put your trust in? Will you trust in acquiring a bunch of possessions, having acquired a bunch of possessions? Or will you trust in loving care of your Father? What will you run after in your life's race? What treasure do you really want? Father, thank you that you have made us your children. We're your flock. You watch out for us. You care for us. You made us more valuable than anything else in all of creation. Thank you that we can trust you. Lord, I pray that you would enable us, that you'd give us grace this day to give you our burdens, to give you our anxieties, our worries and fears, to give them to you and to leave them with you. Help us to believe, help us to trust. Lord, set us free. And Lord, even now, flood us afresh with your grace. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.